electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Inside the oil CEO's meeting in Washington, we have fresh details as high gas prices continue to tug on the economy. Congressman Josh Gottheimer on the cost to consumers and to politicians. I think we've got to get capacity up, and so I think everything should be on the table. But, you know, we have to, at the same time, be doing everything we can on fighting climate change and alternative energy. Up in the air, the head of the biggest union of flight attendants has a warning about staff shortages. We are pressing the airline to fix the operational issues. And gambling emotions. I always am loathe to say sad news, but this is sad news. An NBA owner selling, maybe to invest in sports gaming. I'm how sad. This is for Michael, yeah. I know, because oh, I he, he loves those. He, he, he loves, loves the 76ers. Yeah, yep. pretty good seats. I think he's keeping the seats. It's Friday, June 24th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, kill three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yesterday, we told you on this podcast about the expectations for a Washington meeting between Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and oil industry executives, leaders from ExxonMobil, BP, Chevron, Valero, Marathon, Phillips 66, and Shell. The surging cost of gasoline is hitting gas tanks across the country, and this meeting was designed to discuss possible solutions. If I could ask just one more. Sure. Uh, Secretary Granholm met with oil executives today. Um, I guess has peace uh, between the administration and the oil executives broke out, and more importantly, have some concrete ideas come out of this meeting. I have a, a bit of a readout for you here on, on the meeting. The meeting was a productive dialogue uh, focused on creating an opportunity for industry to work with government to help deliver needed relief to American consumers. Today, we have details about what really happened inside the room. Let's get back to Becky. That meeting was constructive, not combative, according to an oil executive inside the room and accounts from both the industry and the administration after the meeting. The energy secretary was described as someone who was looking for ideas of how to work with the industry to offer some relief to soaring energy prices. Trouble is, there aren't many solutions in the short term, and the ones that do exist may not be the ones the Biden administration would agree to. One idea discussed was seeking government approval to allow winter-grade gasoline to be sold in the summer. That would mean the industry could probably refine an extra couple of hundred thousand barrels of gasoline a day. That's about 2% more supply than we have right now, and that would be the equivalent to adding another refinery in this country. However, the winter blend uses more hydrocarbons like butane that evaporate more quickly, especially in the warm summer months, and that's a big concern to environmentalists. The evaporation could contribute to ozone formation, so that could be a hard sell within the administration. Another idea would be to temporarily suspend elements of the Jones Act. That's the Merchant Marine Act of 1920 that requires all vessels that sail between the United States ports to be U.S. flagged, U.S. manufactured, and U.S. crewed. 
The trouble is, those ships are hard to find and they tend to cost about four times as much. So amending that would be helpful, helpful to take refined product, say, from the Port of Houston to the Port of New York, move things around a little more easily. However, the unions are in favor of the Jones Act because they think it supports U.S. jobs. So that could also be a tough sell with the administration. Ultimately, these decisions will have to be made by President Biden. And he wasn't even at this meeting yesterday that he summoned the nation's oil CEOs to. And when I think climate, when I think environment, I think jobs, jobs. The president did, however, find time for another energy meeting yesterday. That was with business and labor leaders from the offshore wind industry. And if that tells you where things are going on this front, yeah, good constructive conversation yesterday. But the energy secretary is not going to be the decider, and we will see what happens next. We know who the decider is. Remember, you remember who told George us Bush. that. Yeah, so two, I'm the W is gone. Two questions: If you if you did the if you changed this flag issue on the vessels, right? How meaningful is that? It's Meaning, meaningful are those costs that would actually that are that are genuinely passed along to the yeah, consumer? Yeah, they, they are, and it would also ease some of the issues you have with getting things around the country because the refinery shutdowns, the refinery issues, have been a right. problem, particularly in the Northeast, where there was a a refinery in Philadelphia that was taken offline. It would be easier to get things here. It's not going to be a huge, huge but is difference, this, but is these are definitely three cents, help. five cents, ten cents a I gallon. Know. I don't know what the issues would be on the table. Look, another thing that they talked about yesterday was the idea of making sure they're prepared for hurricanes, because in hurricane season, you actually see a shutdown for these refineries before the hurricane gets there because it's a safety issue. They want to make sure that they are ready to get things back up and running and they have the proper clearances. All of these issues are things that take time. The Jones Act has actually been, they've actually given clearance around that in hurricane times in the past to say, yes, we'll do those things, but it does take some time to politically get there. So I think what they're doing is trying to make sure these are not necessarily things that are going to help in the immediate future, but it could help from get things getting much worse if we have a hurricane situation, if you have another shutdown situation, just flexibility. So those are things they would put in place if something happens. The Jones Act, yes. The winter grade gasoline they could do right now, and it would be the equivalent of adding another refinery in this country. Right. But look, there's a reason the Clean Air Emissions were put in place. And how put quickly could they do that? That's the other thing. Issues. Is that something that can happen overnight? I think so. Right. I think that it would happen pretty quickly. But again, there are a reason that these that right. that act was put into place to begin with. And you would have environmentalists who were worried about it. It could contribute to smog. Well, so commodities are rolling over. Uh, some of them, and it, 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 this this is like sticking out like a sore thumb. Just the energy issue, and, oh, and energy not all, that's not the only thing too. rolling over. Economies are starting to roll over here, uh, and in Europe. And Brian Sullivan, he's going to talk about this in a second. If it's a cold winter in Europe, and they start rationing natural gas, they choose heat or making aluminum. And so I'm I'm thinking. I'm once again thinking that we're maybe the Fed is not going to have to go as far. As we think, think maybe yesterday was a, that's probably where the Treasury market right. is acting. The that's way what I mean. The Treasury market, oil, the market, the stock market, good again yesterday. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm just looking for some way to get out of this mess without a really hard landing. But what worries me is that economies slow, but energy prices stay high, so that that. You know, we're not even those other commodities rolling over. But oil looks better at 105 than 120. Think what you're saying, though. <laughs> at 105, it's still tough. But Brian's got a lot. Right. Let's it, get to Brian. You know what? Yep. It, 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 natural gas in Europe, it's, bad. it's expensive here. Do you see what it is in Europe? It's Brian's going to talk about it right super now. Super pricey. Yeah. Um, let's get to Brian Sullivan, who's been digging into that part of the story. Brian, what do you got? And everything I heard echoes exactly what Becky just said. I will add one thing, which is some of these executives, by the way, also, at least told me privately, they were worried about safety issues. We're already at 94% refining capacity. There's been some staffing issues. 
you want to crank the existing refineries up to what, 100%? Run these things full out, full tilt, 24-7, maybe rushing to open one of these refineries that has been shuttered or swapped to biofuels. There are real safety concerns, guys, because when we know when one of these refineries, when something goes wrong, it tends to go really wrong. That Philly refinery that Becky mentioned, it was very close to having to evacuate hundreds of thousands of people in South Philadelphia because of what happened. Now, I don't know. I know Becky plays Wordle. My guess is Andrew does. I don't know about Joe, but yesterday the administration played a little press release Wordle. They put out a press release about the meeting and by all accounts was very positive. But there was a line that caught my eye. It said, record U.S. oil production under the Biden administration. That's a clip. At a time when the U.S. achieving record oil production under the Biden administration. Now, I know we're not anywhere near record oil production. In fact, that was like 12.9, 12.8 million barrels a day back in late 2019. We're at about 11.5, 11.6 million. So, Guys, that caught my eye, and I fired off an email to the Department of Energy about it, trying to get clarification, haven't heard back. But then I realized, Joe, this is political wordle. Think about it. And by the way, the press secretary said the same thing on the podium. The secretary highlighted the fact that the U.S. has achieved record oil production under the Biden administration. Record oil production under the Biden administration. So, yes, that is true. Under the Biden administration, this exactly. is record oil production. It's, but man, you know, I got I to gotta admit, I'm impressed. Whoever wrote that that way, I salute you because that wordplay was so smart. Because it makes it at, sound you like find, 99% You could find, re- the, you know, you could th- the cutting the record, uh, cutting the deficit uh, in a record way because we're no longer spending trillions on, on pay. one thing after another. Did you guys see the segment we did in Worldwide Exchange? I know you prepped for the show and you're running around where Russian oil exports are at the same level they were pre-war. Russian production is likely to be 10.2 million barrels per day next month. According to them, that would be pre-war levels. Energy Intelligence had a report this morning that Europe, their buying of Russian oil is up from last month. So whatever you think of the sanctions, whatever you think of this, Vladimir Putin, it is very likely, is making more money now because prices have gone up even with the discount they're selling at than he was before the war and before the sanctions because Indian buying is 650% higher than a year ago. They've created a, a really cozy new relationship between probably the world's most populous country now or soon to be India and Russia. I have a quiz for you guys. What is the best performing Uh-oh. currency in the world for 2022? Anybody know? The Russian ruble. Yeah. The ruble. Right. It's got it's it's soared. Now again, it was coming from some pretty awful levels, but it's up more than 40% for the year. And that's because of these very things that Brian was just talking about. They have been able to stabilize their economy by selling a lot of oil and natural gas despite all the efforts we've made to try and, and hem that in. Mm. I'm at the lowest weight under my current um, diet, Brian, um, which I'm I'm kind of proud of. You know you what too? I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah that's, I, that's, that's a new the, record that's the political under my wordle. current under my under my that is unbelievable. I'm shocked, shocked that there's duplicitousness and and dissembling going on from uh, Washington. Shocked, I tell you. I'm shocked. From any administration. I'm shocked from from all administrations. 
I said from from Washington. Said from Washington. It's not just relax, never, it's, they relax. All do. I know you've they pointed out equally on the I, last one and I this just, one. You've been very I'm fair. I try to do it on been, both oh, sides. I, 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 I just don't remember absolutely. it ever happening during the uh, Trump administration would downplayed any of anything that ever happened. Right. I always am loath to say sad news, but this is sad news. Uh, Fanatics is in talks to acquire sports betting company Tipico, CNBC, citing people familiar with the matter. Uh, the two sides are said to be currently stuck on price. Maybe it won't happen, but talks are ongoing. Tipico is small in the U.S. It only has licenses in New Jersey and Colorado, but it's the leading sports betting provider in Germany. Now, earlier this week, Fanatics Executive Chairman Michael Rubin, a friend of the show and a personal friend, announced that he's selling his 10% stake in Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. That means. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No, he has to because the he's 76 be gambling. You can't be an owner. Well, can't be. It's that, but he's been so successful with Fanatics, and now he has licensing agreements with everybody that he, he does. He 27, $27 billion market cap. Does it need to go up if you have to sell the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, his stake there? I think it was about 10%. Moves, that move uh, clears away for Fanatics to enter the gambling world because NBA rules prohibit team owners uh, from operating gambling platforms. Probably a good idea. Uh, Fanatics has a private valuation of $27 billion. Um, and we've talked about the rationale for I mean, you know, baseball, kind of tough to figure things out, but if you, you remember the, the, uh, the official, I think it was NCAA hoops official that, that, that got in trouble because it's really not that hard with some betting thing like points. To make a, you make got a the over and under on the points yeah. a guy scores is 27. Does he just not shoot at 25? If you know someone who wants you to not go over, I mean, there's a million ways with basketball that you, you could do things. Yeah, well, sure. there are. It's much harder. It's a, what? The field goal kicker is right. going to miss a. Whoa! Geez, I missed it by 80 yards. I was trying. I, I swear. I mean, you can't. You know, basketball, you just don't shoot. Or you, there's just a lot of ways. Right. Point shaving. You go back to the Black Sox for right. why you can't have. That's ha- that's it's harder in baseball, but I mean, but it's just right. You sign up half the team. Pete Rose. You can do it. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Who um, was, but that was weird. I, I wonder. Yeah, he could have kept, he could have left pitchers out. He could have put, yeah, but yeah, that's not as easy as point shaving. Point shaving in basketball. You never want the appearance. No. Impropriety. I, but I, I I'm sad. For Michael, yeah. I know. Because oh, I he, guarantee he you. Loves he, he loves those. He loves the 76ers. Yeah, yep. they're pretty good seats. I think he's keeping the seats. <laughs> probably, probably. By the way, Can, you can afford them. Those, and, and no, and the truth is, there are a lot of people, and Michael's not one of them, but there are a lot of people who have owned teams or owned pieces of teams. For the seats, like that's why they bought them. Sure, because you like being involved as, as, like as a kid, a, right? right? Next on Squawk Pod, the inflation equation. What can be done? New Jersey Representative Josh Gottheimer joins us. We've got to be aggressive here to help families get costs down, and that's at the that's at the pump, that's at in the grocery store. But we've got to move fast here to help families, and we can't hem and haw about it. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Fed Chairman Jay Powell has wrapped up a big week of congressional testimony, answering questions from members in both chambers about economic issues and the possibility of recession. Welcome back, Chair Powell. Powell told the House Financial Services Committee that the central bank's commitment to addressing inflation at 40-year highs is unconditional. What is your level of commitment to fight inflation? So it's unconditional. Of course, Fed monetary policymakers hiked rates last week by 75 basis points and signaled another increase of 50 to 75 basis points at their July meeting. Powell acknowledged the U.S. central bank underestimated inflation, but that it cannot fail to bring it back down. We are mindful that even though these things are outside of our control, the gas prices and food prices for the most part, that just that adds a little bit of urgency in our wanting to get our, our rates into a place where, where we're addressing inflation directly. Our next guest serves on the House Financial Services Committee. The gentleman from New Jersey, Mr. Gottheimer. Thank you, Madam Chairwoman. Uh, Mr. Chairman. Congressman Josh Gottheimer is also co-chair of the Bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus. Becky Quick takes things from here. Congressman, watching what Fed, Ch- Fed Chairman Powell had to say, Do you think the Fed is up to the task of tackling inflation? I think they're going to have to be, Becky. I mean, the number one priority that I have is making life more affordable for the people I represent, the families uh, in northern New Jersey. And obviously what we all seem to focus on yesterday is what can the Fed do to make sure we uh, get those costs down, but of course, avoid um, steeper challenges. So, uh, you know, I I think the, the chairman... Uh, you know, spoke about the measures the Fed's taking from uh, from interest rates, obviously, to reducing their balance sheet. And we'll see actually in the weeks ahead what's going to happen there. Josh, I know that you're looking at things in your district, things like higher gas prices, things like the higher food costs, just as he mentioned. I know you asked him about the, the cost of housing as well. You think it's being underrepresented in the CPI at this point with a gain of five and a half percent? Well, that's my concern. You know, when you look around at housing prices here in northern New Jersey, Becky, you know, prices for uh, for buying a house or for uh, for renting are, are way up. Uh, and I, I know my colleagues around the country are experiencing the same thing, so I want to make sure that's actively represented in, in what the Fed is grappling with. Uh, but, you know, it's also making sure that we're aggressive on energy uh, uh, prices, on oil and gas. For months now, I've been calling for more of an all-the-above approach, getting our domestic capacity up. Uh, we have 9,000 permits outstanding. We need to do more domestically. We've got to obviously can't look to uh, terrorist Iran or communist Venezuela for answers. We've got to make sure we're thinking longer term on climate and, and alternative energy, but also on the immediate side, looking at getting up our domestic capacity, try to reduce prices. And, and the same could be said at uh, the grocery store. You know, we've got to, when, when we talked about this a lot last week and took legislative action on, on prices there and some uh, collusion in the, the marketplace and the meat and poultry space. So I, I think we've got to make sure on all fronts we're doing everything we can to uh, fight uh, rising prices. Josh, yesterday the defense, or, I'm sorry, the energy secretary sat down with the big oil CEOs at the White House, and 
I've heard it was a very constructive meeting. They came up with ideas. I, I just don't know if they are ideas that the administration or other Democrats would support. One thing would be to start selling this winter-grade gasoline in the summer, and, and that's good. It would give them about 2% excess capacity, allow them to do more when they're already using the refinery cap capacity past 90, 90, maybe 94%. But the downside is it, it comes with an environmental cost. Butane and pentane are two of the chemical compounds that are put into that. They evaporate quickly, much more quickly in the summer months, and that could lead to issues about smog and ozone. Um, would, where would you come down on something like that? If it's going to mean that you get hundreds of barrels per day on additional gasoline, but it's going to come with a temporary environmental cost, which side would you choose? Well, the Secretary of Energy talked about several measures yesterday with the, with the oil and gas executives. By the way, I think a very good move to be sitting down and talking with them. That's what we should be doing. You know, not just beating them up, but actually trying to solve the problem. Um, I think we've got to get capacity up. And so I think everything should be on the table. But, you know, we have to, at the same time, be doing everything we can on fighting climate change and alternative energy. I just think it's a false choice to say you've got to pick one or the other. You're going to have to do both. And we know how much it hurts when the, when the prices go up at the pump for families. So we've got to get capacity up. If that's one of the options, we've got to make sure we study that up and down. Um, but you know what we can't do is say we should just flip a switch and think we're going to solve this problem overnight and not realize that it's a transition. And so what I'm focused on, how do we get that domestic capacity up? Well, let, let, let me throw another one your way. If you don't want to make a decision immediately on whether you go ahead with the winter blend uh, gasoline, well, what about the I'm Jones Act? There's, well, you're not against it. I, not, I, I realize that. But everybody likes to say we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Sometimes life is a series of choices and you have to pick one versus the other. And I think some of the best solutions you could possibly have are situations just like that. I don't know what the right answer is, but you're going to be the one who gets asked to potentially vote on some of these things if it makes it way, its way out of the administration. Another issue they talked about is getting rid of some of the Jones Act issues, at least temporarily, so that you don't have a U.S. manufactured ship that is U.S. flagged, that is U.S. crewed, that are the only things that can take things from one U.S. port to another. If we get into a situation in hurricane season where you have to shut some of these refiners down, because you're doing it for a safety precaution ahead of, ahead of the hurricanes getting there, that's going to mean if you are allowed to use other ships, maybe foreign flag ships, that you could move energy around the country more quickly. However, it's not something the labor unions are generally in favor of because they think it weakens U.S. jobs. So if you have to pick on those two sides, what do you do at this point? I mean, obviously, if you're in a crisis, you got to address it and do it and take every measure. I mean, that's your point, Becky, right, that I think you're, you're making, that all of those things you know, I, I'm, I'm what I what I think you need to do and what the secretary of energy is doing is looking at each of these and we're going to have to make choices. What you can't do is say we're going to everything is off the table uh, and we're not going to consider anything that doesn't, you know, immediately uh, uh, solve every problem. Um, you know, and the way I look at this and I've, I've reached out to the secretary about it and obviously I've said that the president should continue to bring the oil and gas executives into the White House and actually have these conversations, even though some folks don't like it. I get that. But you can and I think it is some Becky, not everybody thinks we should take an all of the above approach and thinks we should get up our, our short term domestic capacity. I think we we should. Um, I think we have to. And I think the two suggestions you just made are exactly the kind of suggestions that I think we should be making the tough choices on. And, you know, and, and it's up to the, us in, in Congress if it's brought to us, but also the secretary to make those changes. And I guess the point is we've got to be aggressive here to help families get costs down. And that's at the that's at the pump. That's at in the grocery store. Obviously, the Fed chairman has to do the same at the Fed. Um, but we've got to move fast here to help families. And we can't hem and haw about it. I, I agree with your approach. I think Jennifer Granholm, the 
energy secretary has taken the same one. The president, though, didn't have time to stop by that meeting yesterday. Is that a mistake in your opinion? I think he should have. I mean, I, I think, and I've been calling for months now, I think the president should sit down with him. I, you know, I, you can't fix a problem. And I've learned this, obviously, working with Democrats and Republicans. You see what we're doing today on gun safety, what we're going to vote on, and, and which I think is, a, you know, is it everything? No, but is, are there great steps in the right direction that we're taking today? Yes. And it comes out from bipartisan governing, like we did with the infrastructure bill. And you're going to have some Democrats who vote against it. You're going to have Republicans who vote against it. But there are enough reasonable, common sense people who want to sit down and get there. And I think we have to do the same thing on energy here. I think the president should be at the table. Congressman, Congressman Gottheimer, we appreciate your take. Good to see you today. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Coming up, the airlines and delays, delays, delays. Sarah Nelson from the 50,000-strong Association of Flight Attendants with her take from the front lines. We are the passengers' biggest advocate because their travel space is our workspace, and if they're not happy, that is a harder job. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. United, uh, let's talk about it because uh, just the latest airline to announce mass flight cancellations. The airline says it'll cut 50 daily flights from its Newark airport starting July 1st. But the reason cited in this case is capacity constraints, airport construction, air traffic control, not staffing. For more on these ongoing flight cancellations, I want to welcome Sarah Nelson, international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, representing nearly 50,000 flight attendants at 20 airlines. It's roughly half of the industry. I want to thank you for joining us. Look, and, and this United thing may be idiosyncratic uh, to, it, it's, to what's happening in Newark, but I think there's a broader thing we need to talk about, Sarah. And you've heard us talk about it on this table ad nauseum, which is, there was a bailout program. You advocated for that program specifically for the airlines. Uh, you said that if we didn't do it, uh, they would be in trouble. The economy would be in trouble. Everything would be terrible. It was a necessary evil to, to, to go down this path. We went down this path, and here we are. And every day you hear about a just remarkable number of cancellations that are impacting people's lives, daily lives, the, the customers' lives, the taxpayers' lives, uh, with no compensation, no recompense, no nothing. And there's something wrong in the system. And I want to understand what you think that is, because something is not right. Well, first of all, Andrew, I wouldn't call the Workers' First package a necessary evil. I think that it was historic, and it is being celebrated around the world as the best relief program that was in place. It went directly to the workers, kept us in our jobs, and uh, kept us paying into the tax system, and that all came back to the American people. The airlines would have collapsed and gone into bankruptcies without it, and we would be in a much worse position. 
But what is going on? And, and let me just say, too, that I have a lot of empathy for both the people on the front lines who are dealing with the conditions this summer and also the travelers who are trying to get somewhere. Love to see the celebration of the squat graduations. I was working really hard to get someone from Chicago to the East Coast so that they could make a graduation today. And we just barely made it after two days of trying last night. So I'm glad about that. Uh, but, you know, this is a perfect storm, Andrew. We have a lot of things going on. We have the fact that the airlines had cut back uh, to minimums before coronavirus. There is no give in the system. So all of the staffing were already at minimum levels before we went into COVID. And that doesn't give us a lot of room to make changes when we get to that. There were staffing cuts across the board. So the operational support that is there for, for the workers on the front lines and for passengers, frankly, to get through to someone uh, when their flight is canceled is not staffed at the same levels that they were before either. This is an area where the airlines could really uh, do something about this. You brought up the issue of Newark, which, uh, you know, in the whole northeastern quarter, it is a different story than the rest of the country, but it has an impact on the rest of the country when you can't get planes out of there and can't get people to their connections. And the FAA is not enforcing the slot requirements, not enforcing the rules, and they need to get back to doing that. But so what do you think is supposed to happen here? Because from a passenger perspective, from a customer perspective, from a taxpayer perspective, it doesn't look like it's working. It looks like it's a broken system that is failing the American people. Failing well, it them. Did. So it did work, Andrew, and it's summer too. And and let's let's remember, there's a lot of things going on here. So um, American Airlines, I do want to recognize that they saw that we've got two different systems here. We have the mainline flying, we have the regional flying there. Uh, we have the issue of getting pilots who are getting hired into the mainline uh, operations. That's American, Delta, uh, Alaska, Southwest, and, um, and United. And they are working on training them. It takes longer to train pilots. There were also planes that were sitting on the ground, and, and pilots could not retain their qualifications as those big planes were sitting on the ground, and that is some of this, too. Uh, and uh, we also have the problem of attracting people to the jobs. So the regional, the feeder airlines that come from Sarah, smaller all cities. all this just sounds like you're throwing your hands up in the air saying, well, woe is me. I, and there's I don't like think so at problems all. And I can't really identify. I don't think so, so at all. So I want to tell what you would you good do news, about this? And, and, and how would you hold you. and how would you hold management at these companies to account? Yeah. So I want to tell you some good news. So American Airlines recognized this, worked with us on an incentive program over the summer and brought the pay up so that we can attract people to the jobs at those at that regional flying. Other airlines can do that as well. They can also it's, it's really important. We need to address what's happening right now and um, cutting back capacity so that they're not having people come to the airport and miss their flights and then reaccommodating them on other flights and planning so that people are not stranded at airports is a really important move right now. And the airlines need to be doing that more. They need to be looking at that capacity and what they can actually handle and not overpromise here. And, they, um, and we also need that operational support. So there's a lot that can be done at the airlines what do you say right about, now. What do you say about the, the idea that, that, and look, we have an inflationary economy, but when you look at the, the true inflation in the economy, where is it? It's in travel. The cost of a ticket has gone up. The service has gone down. The number of cancellations have gone up. I mean, that's the problem here. And I'm trying just to understand as somebody, I know you're working on behalf of the 
uh, the, the flight attendants, but I also think those flight attendants hopefully are working on behalf of the American people that are sitting on those planes that are frustrated out of their minds. Well, the flight attendants are frustrated too, Andrew, because when we can't get through to get our reassignment, and think about this, if we can't get through to re get our reassignment, then possibly we are missing a flight that we could be getting to in order to staff that and get people on their way. And, and it's but ultimately, not this whole thing doesn't work unless the customer is, is, is satisfied and happy. And I have to imagine you want yeah. that more than or should oh, want you that bet. as much you as bet. working for, for the flight attendants themselves. That, that's exactly right. I mean, we are, the, we are the passenger's biggest advocate because their travel space is our workspace. So and advocate for us. What are, you, what are you doing to advocate for us? The American people think that, that the airlines are gouging people on pricing right now, and then they're canceling their plane, and they're missing their vacations, and they're missing their opportunities to spend time with their family. What, what are you, what are well, you doing about really this? let's be really clear. The, the, the airline prices were severely depressed, and airlines were still losing billions of dollars, even with that payroll support. So that was just to keep the infrastructure in place. Now, the airline prices are going up, but let's compare that. Um, over the last 40 years. And, and this is not, these are not huge airline prices this, this summer. Um, this is compared with pandemic rates, not the rates we need to compare to 2019 levels. And so uh, what I would say is that we are pressing the airlines to fix the operational issues, to pull those flights down. So we're also saying that this is a problem also with ATC and the government doing extensions rather than long-term funding so that we can upgrade the system, so that we can hire people into those jobs. So that is part of the issue too. It's not always the airline's fault. And I do want people to hear that for the flight attendants and other frontline workers who are on the front lines trying to make all of this work. Uh, the other thing that happened, and I would just note this, Andrew, the contractors didn't get their funding in time because it was held up at Treasury and they did let go of a lot of people. So the people who pushed the wheelchairs, the concessionaires in the airport, that all relates to what's happening in the the airport stream. And it's really tough for the people on the front lines. We, in many cases, can't get our back. hotels. Yeah, I, get now, that, I'm a, now I'm going to badger. Sarah, last time I was, bad, <laughs> I, was bad, I was badgering you about the masks uh, back in April. When, when <laughs> oh, the, good the one. Florida, good one. And in hindsight, now do you see that's okay? People are on a plane. I mean, it's. Well, you want to, like sick. everybody. Huh? People are getting sick. No, who didn't I, get they're sick getting sick, but they're not. And so, that is part of this, too. This is part of the perfect storm. I mean, when the mask mandate went away, we did see more crew getting sick who hadn't gotten sick the entire time during COVID and been working through COVID. So this contributes to this as well, Joe. And um, this so you is still part wish of what that we're there was a mask mandate even, even now? You still wish everyone was, was I'm, wearing I'm, a mask? What I'm, what I'm telling you is that we are having consequences of that. There's a consequence to every action. And what we're seeing is that some people are getting sick now. The good news is they're not getting sick for the length of time that they did before or, the vaccine. Or it's serious and it, there's the hospitalizations right. are, are down. And it's it's becoming more endemic. And China wishes that, that they had some of the immunity that we've now. Absolutely. Well, Joe, that's true. But but it's when people are getting sick, they're still not able to come to work. So it's not for the length of time that it used to be, but it is also when there's no give in the operation, we've got staffing cut to minimum levels to begin with. Um, it, can, it is can, a problem. Can we just have a point of fact, just so we're on the same page? You just said that prices were not up uh, or, or not up historically at, at historically high levels. I'm looking at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis being tracking this in 1989. They're the highest they've ever been. 
the highest they've ever been. They've shot up 25%. In April Andrew. alone, they were up 18.6%. You know not statistics? adjusted for inflation, right? Do you know statistics that I don't know? No, but it's adjusted for so, inflation. I, I mean, we're, we need to sit, talk about the same set of facts, and I'm not sure what you're looking at there. I, as Joe is saying and repeating, is that unjust, adjusted for inflation? I don't believe so. And um, I think that this is shocking because people were able to fly around for $99 fees during the pandemic. And um, now the uh, prices are more matched to the demand. What do you think um, should happen so when, uh, when, when a passenger gets canceled? Do you think there should be different regulations in place uh, to help passengers? I was just in Europe. I was telling uh, Joe and Becky, they have all sorts of rules put in place. It costs a lot of money to cancel a plane. Um, in Europe in a way it does not here. Yeah, um, I, think that, I think that lawmakers could look at the uh, provisions in Europe and look at applying some of those. But I think that we also need to recognize that what is in Europe is better rest provisions for the crew. We still don't have our 10 hours rest, which is also a problem because as people are getting fatigued, that is also leading to them getting sick more. And, um, you know, there needs to be a lot more attention on, on what is happening here. But it's not always, I say this for the frontline workers who are taking the frustration. What's happening on the ground is not always um, the, the airline's fault. And the airline workers are taking the brunt of that. But it is a it is really a combination of not having invested in the infrastructure of this country. Um, the fact that we have driven to uh, reducing those costs. We, of course, took the ban on stock buybacks for the airlines, but that is being lifted on September 30th. Um, we need to reinvest in the airlines, in in the infrastructure that they have to be able to respond. Are to you the are you against airlines buying back their stock? I am. I am against that because we need to be reinvesting in the infrastructure that obviously you are calling out very rightly is not there to support the demand from the American public. And so they should be reinvesting in that structure, in that operational support and in the workers who can then do the jobs um, in order to meet the demand of the American public. Sarah Nelson. Thank you for engaging uh, with uh, not always easy questions about what's going on uh, at airports these days. Thanks so much. And that's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thank goodness, it's Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. They're on TV every weekday morning, 6 a.m. on CNBC. Or check out this podcast anytime. We're available for free wherever you listen. Have a good weekend, and we'll meet you back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.